is just the right amount of water, is just the perfect combination of molecules to, to that provide substance for all of us. The planet is in the perfect, uh, is, the, is the perfect distance from the sun. I mean, everything is, is perfect. It's, it's order in such a way that you and I can continue to live on this planet and, and do what we do. And that goes not just for us, but all the insects, the, uh, the fishes, the animals. Um, and that's certainly, I think, really the intent of that song. You know, let those, let our praises be given to Jehovah for his, his name alone is high and his glory is exalted. Um, not too much else to add to that uh, other than to say we are truly blessed. Uh, certainly to, to have a father and, and to be a part of his uh, sh uh, sheepfold. Um, I was just talking, you know, to uh, my little one about uh, disappointment. And uh, disappointment is a tough pill to swallow. They call it, you know, the bitter pill yeah. um, because it is it is bitter, um, but it's it's something we all got to swallow when we when we're faced with it. Um, you know, the why is it bitter? <clears throat> well, bitterness um, is probably one of the most um, along well, bitter and sweet are two parts of, so your tongue is divided up into different taste buds on your tongue can uh, have a sensitivity to certain tastes. You know, so salty, um, sweet, bitter, whatever the case may be. But bitterness and sweetness are predominantly, uh, boy, I, I'm not saying this correctly with my mouth. It's, it's, it's square in my brain. Point is, is, there are a higher percentage of taste buds on your tongue that are sensitive to sweetness and to bitterness. Why is that? Well, it's, it's a matter of, well, some scientists will say it's, it's evolution. And I will say it's God's design. And, you know, we, we, our tongues have a sensitivity to sweets because those are, you know, carbohydrates. Those are calories. Those are, you know, things that, we need in order for our bodies to continue. You want to eat sweets because sweets implies energy that your body can break down to continue to, to do what it does. But why bitterness? Well, bitterness is something that we need to pick up on because it is a matter of life and death. Poison in particular. Right? If, a, if something tastes bitter, you know, evolutionarily, right, it, it implies that it is not good for you to absorb into your body. It's not suitable for energy. It's not healthy to drink and eat things that are bitter, which is the reason why, again, you know, sweetness and bitterness are, make up a large percentage of the taste buds on your tongue. One is, you know, implies nourishment. The other implies non-nourishment or poison. And disappointment, you know, I think, you know, you think about achievement. It's sweet to win. Right. It's 
bitter to lose. Um, and I would say, you know, disappointment is, is tough to deal with. Just as, you know, trying to drink something bitter is tough to deal with. I think about Jesus Christ on the cruel cross of Calvary. When he was thirsty, what did they feed him? They feed him gall. They fed him. They gave him gall to drink. And gall is extremely bitter. You know, you, right? It, it almost makes you want to throw up. It almost, in, in the sense of what, uh, of the suffering that these uh, centurions wanted Christ to go through was, they did want him to vomit. So he would give up even more of the water that was inside of his body so that he could experience even more pain and discomfort while he was on the cross. In a very real sense, Jesus tasted that bitter pill of disappointment on our behalf. Well, what disappointment are you talking about? Well, the disappointment of not living up to expectations, you know, not you know, realizing our potential as creatures that were made in the image of God. You know, Jesus drank that bitter pill of disappointment on our behalf on the cool cross of Calvary. And that's a blessing. I was talking to my little one about that, and I said, you know, think about the disappointment that you're feeling and how bitter it tastes and how uncomfortable it makes you feel, you know, the despair and the depression that results from, you know, not achieving what you set out to achieve, not realizing the potential that others and maybe yourself have said that you have. And think about Christ Jesus. Think about the bitter pill of disappointment of God himself. And, you know, with good intentions, certainly with righteous intentions, because we know our Father God is righteous. How he created two human beings, Adam and Eve, and how in a short amount of time, those two creations of his just didn't live up to the expectations. They fell short because of sin. And because of that, of that disappointment, God in his infinite wisdom and his loving kindness as a result of his grace set a plan in place for his only begotten son Jesus to die on the cross so that we would have a hope of being reconciled back with him. Talk about the bitter pill of disappointment that he had to give up his son because his creations just didn't meet the mark. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing to you and I that even in those moments where we fall short, we are still blessed by God. We still have His Word. We still have His Spirit. Most importantly, we still have His grace. And we are still benefactors of that grace. So, when, you know, when you're going through, when you're feeling bad, you don't meet the mark, think about Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the manifestation he literally and figuratively became that bitter pill of disappointment for each and every one of us. So how dare we feel bad if you know we, we fall short? I didn't get the promotion. 
I didn't win the competition. I didn't get the grade I was looking for. Um, I didn't get the girl I had my eye on, or I didn't get the young man that, you know, um, I had my eye on. Um, maybe my wife let me down. Maybe my husband let me down. Maybe my kids let me down. Maybe my brother or sister in Christ let me down. Maybe life just let me down. That's disappointing, but with that disappointment, you have to, we all should come to realize and we should all at that very moment fall down on our knees and thank God for his grace that we want, that we have an opportunity to be, if you will, spared the disappointment of eternal damnation through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a blessing. Amen. And that's something that we should all take with us every single day of the week. Um, because it is, it is a part of God's plan. Now, I gave you that for free. Because that was not a part of the lesson at all. <laughs> but that's just something, and you know, I would say free implies that it's not, that has no value. That's, that's not what I was meaning to say. What I was meaning to say was that was what God put in my heart to right. say. And if God put that in my heart, by all means, I'm going to speak it. Because Amen. I'm just simply his mouthpiece up here today. So hopefully what was said was encouraging to, to you all as it was to me. Amen. If you have a, a Bible um, available to you this morning, we're going to be reading, start off reading uh, by looking at Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And um, the title of my lesson this morning is trust. And um, trust is, is, is something that uh, um, I struggle with. Mm. You know, I, 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 was just, I was just talking to Heather this morning about whether or not I, I should leave uh, our little dog Boaz in the house. Um, he used to be potty trained, or he goes through moments of being potty trained. Um, I have to replace a rug because he has left presence in the middle of the night that, uh, you know, he expects the humans, you know, I'm his servant, right? He does what he wants, and then I come right behind him and clean it up. Um, you know, but he, he does give me, you know, licks on the face, you know, he, he does give me whatever his version of love is. But I say all that to say this, that I was, I was struggling. Should I put this dog outside in the heat? You know, he's got water outside, but he's not very smart. He will stand by the door out there in the open sun until somebody comes home. So I, I'm, I know he's not the smartest. So I'm, I'm trying to be a good pet owner, knowing that he has limitations in that realm. But I struggled with, do I trust this dog enough? I let him out, I let him out in enough time to do his business. Right? I don't have time to look out there and, and monitor that he's done his business, but he was out there long enough to do it. But I don't trust him, or I struggle with trusting him to leave him in the house because he's, he's, he's let me down many times. So, 
I struggled with that. That created some anxiety as I was driving in to, to worship this morning. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, I was apprehensive. I wasn't confident in my choice. Right. You know, and that confidence was, you know, led to anxiety and apprehension. Now, I use that as just a, a base level example, but really is analogous to um, what we're about to read here in, in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Is that somebody was told to do something that would have made any one of us unsure. Mm -hmm. But because this person trusted in the person who told him to do it, he did it with confidence. He did it without anxiety. He did it without trepidation or apprehension. He just went out and did it. Mm -hmm. And so in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, it says um, in verse number one, mm -hmm. and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. And we know that, um, you know, this this word tempt mm -hmm. um, is a um, English translation of a Greek word, which loosely is translated in English as tempt. But we know that, in, first off, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. No. And we know that the Scripture tells us in the New Testament that God tempts no man. <laughs> but I would rather say that this was a test. There you go. Test. That uh, God was, um, you know, putting in front of Abraham. And, you know, God doesn't test us. You know, He doesn't set us up for failure. God knew, even before Abraham did it, what the end result was going to be. So who did he do it for? If God knows the answer, if God knows how you were going to answer, if God in his omnipotence knows what you were going to do before you do it, then why is there a test? Why did God do this? God, and, and as we get into the lesson here, what you'll come to realize is that God did this not for his own benefit, no, but for Abraham's benefit. There you go. And so it says in verse number one, God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and give thee and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, it says that Abraham, in verse number 3, rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and, and two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God told him. Mm -hmm. And it's important that every single thing was accounted for in verse number three that he took with him. Because if it weren't, one could simply imply that Abraham brought an insurance policy with him. Right. What would that insurance policy be? It could have been a sheep or a lamb mm -hmm. for sacrifice. But you see what he said here? Mm -hmm. Very descriptive. It said he brought, he, he rose up in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he took two of his young men with him, mm -hmm. and Isaac, and would and went. Now, the, you can't sacrifice a donkey. You want to know why? Because a donkey was forbidden for sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It was a beast of burden and therefore unworthy 
of being sacrificed unto God. So you can't say that the donkey was the insurance policy. It says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again, un uh, come again to you. Now, again, it's very, very important, this descriptive language here. He, he told the young men and the donkey to stay. Okay, you could say, well, the two insurance policies were the two young men. No, no, no. He told the two young men and the donkey to stay. My son and I, we're going to go up to Mizpah and worship and come again to you. Now, <laughs> all right, well, let's just read on because I think all of us would have done something entirely different. I would have brought three or four insurance policies. And even if I didn't, I would have brought one of those young men and said, well, he won't know the difference. If human sacrifice is what God expects, well, then I'm certainly not going to sacrifice Thomas E. Garner III, right? He's my only son. He's my only begotten son. I hope. No, I'm joking. That's a joke. Uh, foolish Jesson is not should not be a part of the lesson. So he's my only begotten son. But I would not. I would struggle with that because I was because I struggle with this trust issue here. And you know that trust, if you have a lack of trust, you also have a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And if you have a lack of confidence, that can lead to trepidation and apprehension, meaning you're questioning, you're not quite sure if you should be doing X, Y, or Z. And that brings about anxiety. Mm -hmm. Again, Abraham had said, in, it says in verse number 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He actually took the wood and said, Here, son, you carry this. Mm -hmm. Now, Isaac is not... This isn't happening in a vacuum. Meaning, the experiences of Abraham are not the only experiences that are going on at this time. Isaac is also experiencing this. Mm -hmm. Isaac knows full well what worship means and what is required in order to worship God the way that God has commanded them to worship Him up to this point. It does not fail to be impressed on Isaac that his father took the wood and gave it to his son to carry. It says, And he, lay, and he laid it upon Isaac his son and took the, the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? See, Isaac is Isaac is thinking. He's a conscious you know, human, human being in this particular account in the scripture. It's important to understand, you know, where Isaac has come from. And these questions 
point to that. Isaac is like, hey, pops, um, we've got everything except for, you know, an animal. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't have a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. Um, and so Abraham says this. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Mm -hmm. And it came to pass in the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound bound Isaac his son. Mm -hmm. Again, it's important to realize that this is not, Abraham's experience is not the only experience. Isaac is allowing his father to bind him as an animal sacrifice. They didn't scuffle. You know, Isaac also trusted his father, Abraham. You know, I'm getting a little goose flesh here because I pray that my son trusts me enough to do what I say to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, my, and I say this all the time when I talk about trust. Uh, I say it to my kids all the time. I will never forget, my mom always continually repeated to me, I will never tell you to do something wrong on purpose. Mm-hmm. I may tell you to do something and it may be an absolute mistake. Right. But I didn't do it on purpose. Right. I did it with with loving intentions in my heart. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I try to impart that on my kids. Don't argue with me. Mm-hmm. Just do what I say. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. Trust me that the guidance and the information that I'm giving you is coming from only, only, only from a place of self-sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where it's coming from. And trust me. Now, you, you, most of you know my kids, and they're good kids, but they do argue with me. They do have, well, you know, da 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 da, well, da 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 da, well, dad, but, 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 but I tell them all the time, you got to trust me here. You have to trust what I'm telling you is good, because... You don't have the time. You can't look around this corner. I've not only have I looked around the corner, but I've been around the corner. I've been burned around the corner. And what I'm trying to do as a loving parent is to keep you from falling in the same traps that I did. Right. And what we find here is that Isaac, in the fact that he allowed himself to be bound by his father without fighting back, mm-hmm. because the scripture doesn't say that they had a fight, mm-hmm. that Isaac also trusted his father. Good point. Amen. And that's huge. And it says that he bound his Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, the Bible doesn't parse words here. Abraham was set on killing his son. That's right. Now, again, I just mentioned that there's there's two players in this. That Isaac laid there. 
knowing full well that Abram, that his father was going to kill him, knowing full well that his father trusted in God. Mm -hmm. You see how that trickle down works there? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Abraham had an unfeigned trust in God, and Isaac saw that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Isaac had an unfeigned trust in his own father. As a result, mm -hmm. you know, I, I I have to check myself as well as maybe my kids, as good as they are, as loving as they are, even in spite of that, all the buts that come out of their mouths when I when I give them advice, maybe isn't a result of them mm -hmm. not trusting me, mm -hmm. but a result of me not trusting my father. Mm -hmm. Maybe. They don't see that example of trust mm. between me and my God, and therefore they, you know, manifest that that doubting that I have in God with the butts that come out of their mouths. That's food for thought. Amen. But I get back to the scripture. <coughs> Two men trusting in their fathers unequivocally. And Abraham stretches forth his hand, takes the knife, and he is about to slay his son. Yes. And an angel of the Lord, in verse number 11, calls out, calls out, calls unto Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. Mm -hmm. here, here am I. In verse number 12, this angel says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Mm -hmm. And Abraham lifted up, his, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him a ram, mm -hmm. caught in a thicket by his thorns. Mm -hmm. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him for a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering, in the steed of his son, or instead of his son. Mm -hmm. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jerah. Jehovah I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it, and it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the bond? that God, let me rephrase that, that Isaac has with his father, you know, father, his father Abraham has with the father God. Can you imagine the strength of that bond and that experience? Wow. Wow. It's reciprocal. I mean, the trust goes both ways. Mm -hmm. God trusted Abraham. Abraham trusted God. Isaac trusted Abraham. Abraham trusted his son Isaac. You see how that works? You see the connectedness that can occur when trust, a true bond of trust, is developed. I pray that, you know, I, me and my son, 
can you know develop that that type of trust now i'm here to tell you that god knows my heart he knows how strong i am i i would hope to say that i would have the the strength and the trust that abraham did at that time but I, i'm god knows my heart and i hope that <clears throat> my prayer is that through the years certainly before i die or before my son dies, that he and I will develop that level of trust that Abraham and Isaac had. Mm -hmm. But I know I cannot get there, I will never get there, if I don't first develop that same level of trust with my Father God. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible for me to get there. In First uh, John, you have... Uh, you have uh, your Bible in, in 1 John, <clears throat> starting at uh, 1 John chapter 5, my apologies, starting at verse number 6. And, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, before I read this, I want to talk a little bit about trust and, you know, how trust is, is something that is, is developed over time at least with you and I and I'm wondering if trust is something that I need to develop over time with God let me ask a better question when you became a child of God how much did you trust God how much did you trust God that he has the ability to wash away your sins you know, when, when you went down in that water grave of baptism and you said, I believe that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Mm -hmm. And when the person who baptized you said, with that confession, with your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he fully immersed you in water and you came up a new creature in Christ Jesus. How much did you trust God that that act was exactly what the scripture had said it was, which is a not a washing away of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God. Mm -hmm. How, after that baptism, did it clear your conscience wholly, entirely? Did it remove the guilt of sin in the fact that God remembered those past sins no more? You know, they say that, uh, you know, uh, respect is given, but trust is earned. Mm -hmm. In First uh, John, the fifth chapter, and verse number six, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, mm -hmm. even Jesus Christ. And not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness, because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven of what? Of the truth. Mm -hmm. The Father, the Word, vis-a-vis -vis the Son. You can go back to right. uh, the Gospel according to John, the first chapter, and, and see that the Word and the Son are the same. The Word became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Right. So the, the Father, the Son, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Mm -hmm. And there are three that bear witness in earth. Right. The spirit, the water, 
and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive or accept the witness of men, The witness or proof of God is greater. The testimony of God is greater. If we accept that, if we accept the, the testimony or you know the proof positive of a man, well, the, the, the proof positive, the testimony of God is even more prevalent, is even more sure, it is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness, what? In himself. Now I'm going to stop right there for a few moments. Mm -hmm. You know, the book of John tells us that all of the miracles that were written in the book were written for, for what purpose? Yeah, I believe it says that, you know, many things and, and many many uh, miracles and healings that Jesus did that, that were not written in this book, but those that were written were written to inspire faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Can you imagine the witness and the testimony that Jesus, it, that Jesus, if you lived in his time, right? If you were, he got to witness those things and Jesus said, I am God in the flesh. And then he turned water to wine. Mm -hmm. He healed someone of their blindness or their lameness. He allowed someone to walk on water. Um, you know, all the miracles and wonders that Jesus did, and even those that we don't know of that weren't written in that book, imagine if you were standing there right then. Would it be enough for you to trust him? Would he need to earn your trust? Now, I struggle with trust. And I guess I would tell you that that wouldn't have been enough mm -hmm. for, for Thomas Garner. Mm -hmm. I, I'm speaking of just me, not you. Okay, I saw him walk on water. You know, I'd say, well, you know, maybe the salinity of the water was such that it was super buoyant. And therefore, that's the reason why he, okay, well, he, he healed someone of their blindness. Well, maybe it was psychological blindness, and all he had to do was to appeal to their psyche, and he, you know, gave them, gave them their sight. I mean, I'm saying this because we all do this mm -hmm. every single day of the week. We all, you know, try to remove God from the equation by applying some you know, science to it, let's say. And I would also say that you do this to yourself. You know, when the scripture says that we bear the witness of Jesus Christ in ourselves, you know what that means? We are the proof that God exists. You are the testimony to yourself that God exists. If you can't see the difference in your life, between when you became a Christian and after you became a Christian, then there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And the witness is not in you. Good. You all, we all should be able to look at one another, knowing who we were and who we are now, and say, that's God. Mm -hmm. There cannot be any other proof 
or you know the reason for this difference other than that's God right there and that should be enough for each and every one of us to trust him each and every day of the week with him he's already earned our trust Amen. he earned our trust 2,000 years ago when he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. That's all, that's all he needed to do. That's all the proof we need. He doesn't need to do anything else. He doesn't need to prove to you that he is God. And, you know, you know, I need a testimony, God. You know, you, you've probably heard this in, in denominations, right? Where they're so heavy on testimony. We need somebody to come up here and give a testimony. You don't need a testimony other than what's already written here in the book. Amen. You don't need any other testimony than the life, death, and burial, of burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only testimony we need. Amen. And it goes on to say, um, in verse number 10, just to finish this off, He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believed not the record that God gave of his son. Mm -hmm. To the point, mm -hmm. if you don't believe of the record and the testimony and the witness of Jesus Christ, then you don't believe in God. It need not require the testimony of Thomas Garner. Which is the reason why we don't do testimonies as denominations do. Like, we don't need proof that God is working in your... I don't need proof that God is working in your life to believe that God exists. Mm. The scripture just right here tells me what? He that believeth not the record that God gave of his son is also saying that God is a liar. Mm. And he is untrustworthy. Because liars are untrustworthy. That's the reason why all liars will not make their home in heaven. Because they are not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And anyone who does not believe the testimony and the witness of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus Christ, his son, is also saying that I don't trust in God. I don't need your testimony. I've already got enough testimony here in the book. Do you also know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four different men? Four different men. They wrote their books independent of one another. They didn't write it all at the same time. As a matter of fact, Luke wasn't even with the original 12 disciples at that time. But four accounts of four men written independently at four different times for four different audiences and they all say the exact same thing. They all bear the same witness of Jesus Christ. Amen. That should be, that's more than enough mm -hmm. for you and I to trust in God. But I go back to why did, why did God, uh, as it says, tempt Abraham? Mm -hmm. He did it for a number of reasons. He did it to reinforce Abraham's trust in God mm -hmm. and God's trust in Abraham. But lest we forget about Isaac, mm -hmm. 
he also had Isaac in mind. Because if you read the story about what happens to Isaac, if Isaac did not have that, it did not have that trust in God, Isaac would have not done what Isaac did. And guess what he did? He 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 was given Rebecca. Right? Yes. Rebecca bore him two sons, mm -hmm. Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. And Isaac did a number of other things, but you see the lineage of trust. Mm -hmm. Isaac imparted the trust in God and his son Jacob, who in turn, you know, you can go back to the book of Matthew. You can, you know, you can look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That faith and trust was passed on throughout the generations, all the way. Okay, you may not you may not grasp this. Joseph had to trust in God. You know why he had to trust in God? Because he didn't have sexual relations with his wife, but yet she was pregnant. The angel told him. Don't worry, she is still your wife. She hasn't been, she hasn't committed adultery. She has been impregnated with the seed of God. Mm -hmm. He had to trust. Yes. My goodness, he had to trust. Now, I love yeah. my wife. I do. But listen, if my wife got pregnant without me having intercourse with my wife and she said, and even if an angel came to me and said, hey, Thomas, don't, don't worry about it. She's, she's pregnant via the Holy Ghost from God. She's still a virgin. She hasn't committed adultery. You know, don't reject her. In the middle of the night, when I'm thinking, she's asleep snoring. Satan comes into my brain. I'd be thinking, you know what? I don't know. I tell you what, if this if this child comes out with blonde hair and blue, and blue eyes, there's going to be some furniture movement around this place. And I say that not to not to not to for the purpose of being humorous. I'm just for the purpose of highlighting that same amount of trust that Abraham had had to have been passed on from generation to generation to Joseph in order for Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and I. Mm -hmm. You know, they say faith is the victory. Mm -hmm. Trust is a large component of that. Mm -hmm. If anywhere along those lines of the genealogy, if trust was broken, you and I would not be sitting in this room right now. You and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be partakers of that same promise that was imputed unto Abraham for righteousness, that same level of trust, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be partakers of that promise as well. Mm -hmm. So I get to the scripture reading. Proverbs, um, <coughs> that the third chapter, verse number five, or fifth chapter, verse number three. Ah. Proverbs, the third chapter, and verse number five. It says in verse number one, My son, forget not my law. 
but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Mm -hmm. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Mm -hmm. Mercy and truth, y'all. Mm -hmm. Verse number five. So thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Mm -hmm. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not just some of it with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths mm -hmm. now I'm not going to read all the book of Job for you but I would encourage you to read the book of Job with trust as the backdrop Job lost everything. Everything. Every single thing. He lost everything, and the only thing that he had that he possessed, if you want to call the breath of life in his possession, was his life. And I guess I would say that maybe the other thing that he had in his possession was trust and faith in God. His friends told him many, many times, Job, you, you must have done something wrong to have fallen out of favor with God. You must have sinned um, because now you're, you're stricken with boils and, and all of these things. You, have, you must have made a wrong choice in your life to have been in the state that you were in. And, and Job, in turn, also expressed distrust in God himself. Throughout the book of Job, or many instances in the book of Job, where he is arguing with God, in essence, he's saying, God, listen, I know you're the man. I mean, I've done all of these things. I believe in you, but why are you treating me this way? I don't understand why my life has taken an absolute turn for the worse when I'm upright and faithful. At the very end of this conclusion, or the very end of this story account of the life and times of Job, he repents Amen. by saying what? And he did exactly what the proverb writer says in verse number 6. He acknowledged that God is almighty. Yes. That God has the control. That God has all of the wisdom. What he does, I can't hope to understand. And therefore, I should never question. Mm -hmm. And because of that acknowledgement, it says that Job repented and he was blessed more than what he was started with. Mm -hmm. You know, when the proverb writer says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths, what it means by acknowledging is that you don't got it, but he does. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to see around the corner, but he can. Yes. 
You may not know the direction, but he does. You may not know the future outcome, but he does. You may be unsure, but he's never unsure. You may be, you may be wrong, he is always right. You may doubt, he's forever confident. Did you know that there is something and nothing? If you were to punch in your calculator, one divided by zero, the calculator would explode. It'd basically say error, can't compute. Because nothingness is indivisible. But scientists have proven that nothingness is divisible. Right now in the vast nothingness of space, Matter and antimatter are spontaneously created and then colliding together. And what do they call that? Um, annihilating one another. Right now, in the vastness of nothingness, something is happen happening. Matter and antimatter are created and then spontaneously annihilating one another. And it's happening. Billions and billions of times a second. Mm -hmm. Scientists have proven that. Mm -hmm. So yes, nothing or zero is not indivisible. It is divisible. Go back and read what it says in the book of Genesis. When there was nothing. Something create. Some, someone created something out of nothing. You know what scientists have in, in fact proven? That it is a scientific fact that something can be created from nothing. God said that how many thousands of years ago? I mean, just read it. First chapter of the book of Genesis. What does he do? He, out of the vastness of nothing, he makes something. So even if you can't see it, even if you, if, you, if you feel like there is no deliverance, no escape, no success to be, to be had, all you see in front of you is, is failure and disappointment. There is nothing that good that can come out of this disappointment and this, this failure that I see in front of me that I'm experiencing in my life. If God has the power to make something out of nothing, then he also has the power to make success out of failure. Amen. To bring hope out of despair. Yes. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible has said that. And because I trust in the record and the testimony of God, I have to trust in what I just said. I have to trust in what the Bible says that I have to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and not lean on my own understanding because I can't see around the corner, but I know he can. So if you're here this morning and you haven't been trusting as you should, certainly in moments where you've had to drink that or swallow that bitter pill of disappointment, in that moment, go down on your hands and knees. Thank God for the blessings of being a part of His family. 
and put your trust in God. When God says that all things will work to the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When you hear verses like that, that all things will work to your good as long as you love God and fulfill your purpose that he has called you for. Why would you ever doubt? I mean, yeah, disappointment is real. That's a human emotion. But why would I ever wallow in that? Because I know that God has told me that everything will work out to my benefit. All things will work out to the good. When the scripture says that God will never allow you to be tempted more than what you're able to bear, but in that temptation will give you a righteous means of escape, why would you ever doubt it? And when you're faced with, you know, the temptation of whatever temptation that, you know, Satan throws at you, why would you ever doubt God when he says that he will always give you a righteous means of escape? All you simply got to do is say, I trust you, God. Where is the escape? Oh, it's right there. I'm taking it. Right? When God says, when the word says, that if you live faithfully until death, you will obtain a crown of righteousness. Why would you ever doubt him? When Jesus himself says, I am not where I'm going, you, are, you will be with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my, father's, in my Father's kingdom. I'm going to prepare a house. All of us will be there. When the scripture says that at the, at the sound of the last trump, that those who are dead... And those that are alive will rise up with Christ and be with him in the clouds forevermore. Why would you ever doubt? Or we could be like Thomas. My namesake. Said, nah, I kind of trust. But I'm not going to trust until I see the proof. <coughs> I need the testimony. I need to see it with my own hands. Jesus showed him the proof. But he said, Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Amen. Amen. So, if you struggle with, with trust, pray for me as I pray for you. That uh, we will rely more upon God. And just understand that his testimony is true because it's here in the book. We don't need any other proof. We are the testimony. We are the proof positive that God is real. That his Holy Spirit is real. Because we're new creatures. We have been transformed in our minds to think and act and do differently than who we were prior to. If you find yourself in a pickle... You're going through struggles. Trust in God. Trust in God with all your heart. Do not rely upon your perceptions. Because your perceptions change. You can't see what God sees. You can't know what God knows. So when he tells you to go right, go right. Even if there's not like a street right. 
If he says to go right, make that right hand turn and then spontaneously a street will be there for you to go right. Trust in God with all thine heart. Lean not on their own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Again, if, um, if you're here this morning and you need prayers of strength, if there is a, a sin that has overcome you, um, you can come to God this morning and ask him for forgiveness. Um, if you know there's a fault, that you struggle with, as I've just expressed one of mine. You can pray, um, you can come forward to God uh, right now, and your brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithful will pray on your behalf that God will um, strengthen you in that area where you have weakness. If you are not a member of the body of Christ this morning, you also need to have some level of trust. And that trust comes with the belief in knowing that God is who he says he is. That God sent his only begotten son to come to this earth to die on the cross to establish the church. His body, which he is the head of. He's the savior of the body. He purchased it with his own blood. You need to hear that. You need to believe it. And that should prompt repentance. You know, a change in thinking. Well... You know, if God loved me enough to give His only begotten Son to die on the cross for my sins, so that I will have an opportunity to go to heaven, then I, there's some, there is a debt that I owe back to God. And He says the only way for me to repay that debt is to live a life according to His rules, according to His commandments. And I'm thus going to commit myself to do that. That's what repentance is. And then confession. Scripture says that for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hmm. And then one must be baptized, Acts the second chapter and verse number 38, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, for the remission of sins, in order to obtain the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live as children of God with well the Holy Spirit is the seed of God which allows us to live um, for him by him with his strength faithfully until death in order to attain a crown of righteousness so the lesson is yours we have the urgency to do so please come forward and stand and sing the song of the